The following program is part of the Inner Circle Podcasting Group. Go to innercirclecomics.com for more high-quality podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. Hi, this is Jeff Parker, creator of Meteor Man, and you're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Man. Sort of break it, break it down like this. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to THN episode 239, a milestone for sure, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, January 13th. I am Joe Patrick, at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter, and when I'm not decrying the racism of the Academy Award voters for snubbing straight out of Compton, but handing out nominations to every other honky in Hollywood. And Creed, what the f***, Creed? Come on! I'm trying so hard not to pass out right now. <laughs> My name is Matt Baum. That's at Matt Baum. See the Twitter. We decided to let Joe lead off the show because his singing voice sounds so beautiful this yeah. week. Yeah. And when I'm not managing my Kickstarter that's raising funds to have the Calgary Flames starting line come and take Ted Cruz back to Alberta, I am writing the Comic Speculator blog for WorthPoint.com. In this week's episode, you'll hear our reviews of Spirit Leaves number one and Injection number six. After that, Matt and I will review 10 more of this week's comics faster than Matt can drain our entire PayPal account in one bet during the ludicrous speed round. Did the Kansas City Chiefs win, my brother gets to demolish my genitals. Wow. Yeah, he always wants to make bets like that. It's like, if they win, I get to punch you in the dick. <laughs> I'm like, Michael, why? <laughs> you might need to get him some therapy. <laughs> then we'll visit the TGN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we're offering up a blood sacrifice to stop the rash of dying celebrity greats and talking about next week's comics. And finally... We check in with Da Orca in the frozen wastes of Maine to find out what comics you should be selling. But before we get into jokes about ex-Power Rangers murdering their roommates, which is true, <laughs> let's just take a moment to marinate in the wonderful infighting and pure lunacy that we've been treated to in the most recent Republican debate. And then we'll talk about this week's Big News. Base, huh? I like it. Joe Patrick in I Told You So News, Ryan Coogler has been confirmed to direct Black Panther. After months of speculation and unconfirmed reports, Marvel Studios have confirmed that the Creed director, he also did Fruitvale Station, which if you haven't seen it, excellent I, film. I haven't. Ryan Coogler has been hired to direct the upcoming Black Panther movie following the character's debut in Captain America Civil War. Good news or what? Hell yeah, it's good news. Oh my God. I Okay, Fruitvale Station was... Excellent. Gut-wrenching and excellent. Creed made me cry like a baby. Oh, man, I cried at Creed. No less than three times, and not just because I'm the world's biggest Rocky fan. It was a wonderful film. Yeah. Quote from Kevin Feige, we are fortunate to have such an esteemed filmmaker join the Marvel family. The talents Ryan showcased in his first two films easily made him our top choice to direct Black Panther. Many fans have waited a long time to see Black Panther in his own film, and with Ryan, we know we found the perfect director to bring T'Challa's story to life. I totally agree. And there was like some talk on the web. There always is those trolls like, oh, they're just hiring him because he's a black guy or whatever, you know. He's a fantastic director. Yes, the Black Panther is black. But truly, if he's going to be a, the first big time black superhero, why not get a kick-ass black director to do it? Yes. I, mean, I think this is awesome. You need to make that effort to have that representation in your yeah. films. Yes. Black Panther is scheduled to be released February 16th, 2018 with Chadwick Boseman in the title role. 
He's a good looking dude. Chadwick Boseman. He was James Brown in the James Brown biopic. Yeah, and he played... Um, dude can move. He also played Jackie Robinson in the movie 42. Guy's a great actor. It's a kick-ass director. Super excited yeah, for this. Yeah, I think he's going to be great as uh, the director for Black Panther. And I am excited for that movie. I'm really excited to see him whooping some ass in the Captain America movie. Speaking of comics to film, Deadline has reported that Captain America Civil War directors Joe and Anthony Russo are producing an adaptation of the image OGN Sex Castle <laughs> by Kyle Starks for 20th Century Fox. Matt, aren't the Russo brothers under Marvel lockdown for like the next 30 or 40 years? A better question. Are they Rene Russo's kids? No. I'm just going to assume they I are. don't think so because yeah. they are like middle-aged men. I like it. You heard it here first. Anthony and Joe, <laughs> Rene's kids. They are producing... The film. Yeah. Okay. So that's different. Right. You know, not to say that a producer's job isn't involved. It definitely is. But I think they are producing the film the same way J.J. Abrams is producing like the next two Star Wars movies. Right. And he's also got that, you know, 10 Cloverfield Lane movie coming oh, out as God well. Damn. It looks terrifying, by the way. So the film is reportedly being directed by two members of Comedy Central's Workaholics team, uh, director Kyle Nuacek and actor Blake Anderson. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Blake is the really frizzy haired guy. Yeah. And he is going to play Sex Castle. He is a funny guy. A very funny guy. I don't find Workaholics especially funny. I did catch a few minutes, like the opening of an episode of Workaholics the other day uh, at the were, end of At Midnight. When they were beatboxing? And they did the beatbox. Yeah, I watched the it beatbox too. off. <laughs> that was pretty good. That was funny. <laughs> it's like, we're not very good at this. You yeah. realize that, right? <laughs> uh so, of course, no timeline or release date for the film has been set. A Sex Castle movie is the world ready. I love it. I totally. We freaked out about Sex Castle. It was so much fun. It was basically this open love letter to the 80s action films of yesterday. It was totally ridiculous. It was very simple in art, but just wonderful. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> There's no reason why this couldn't be totally hilarious. Yeah, I love it. I'm, I am excited. Joey, USA Today has announced that Poe Dameron, the best fighter pilot in the Resistance, will get his own ongoing comic book series from Marvel. The ongoing series launches in April from the Chewbacca creative team of Charles Soule and Phil Noto. The series is going to be set prior to the events of Star Wars The Force Awakens in the gap between Return of the Jedi and the latest Star Wars film, which was 30 years. So that's quite the gap. Well, he's about 30. Yeah. Well, let's not start with him as one. Well, you know, like George yeah, Lucas yeah. did with Anakin. <laughs> The series is also going to introduce a new threat from the First Order that will serve as Poe's primary antagonist, with Soul commenting that the new villain is going to feel fresh and cool. BB-8 and some of the newly introduced X-Wing pilots will round out Poe's supporting cast. In or out? In! Totally. Chewbacca was incredible. Yeah. And Phil Noto was not my first choice to draw Chewbacca, Ugh. but he killed it. It was beautiful. Here's my question. Okay. We don't really hear a lot about Poe other than the whole him getting captured and rescued, we don't really find out a lot about Poe in the movie. Well, the word the word on the street, I was going to say, was that Poe was supposed to die. And they were like, we like this character way too much. Yeah. And we've got this kick-ass actor playing him. Why are we killing him? So he was, uh, Poe Dameron was featured in a novel called Before the Awakening, a Star Wars novel written by Greg Rucka. Which I had no idea Greg Rucka did that. Yeah. And he, uh, Greg Rucka also wrote the Shattered Empire miniseries from last year that introduced Poe Dameron's parents. They were uh, rebellion pilots. Right. Why not tap Rucka to write this? He's a busy guy. 
He's got maybe he doesn't on. want to commit to an ongoing. Yeah, he's, maybe he's, he's not interested. He's got stuff going on. I loved Chewbacca. I, oh my god! And I, we loved Lando. Yeah, like I think this is going to be great. I am totally in. Yeah, I'm for more Poe Dameron stories. We haven't seen a Marvel misstep with Star Wars yet, so this is almost uh, like playing t-ball. All right, the inevitable deluge of information you do not want to know in advance has started to trickle out about Civil War Two. So, spoiler alert: if you don't want to hear this, smash your uh, internet device now. Yeah. New York Daily News reporter Ethan Sachs was invited by Marvel to one of their recent writer summits, and he has revealed details of the upcoming event. Have, is he still alive? Is he still walking around, or did I they find it, him and kill I him? I think this was all on purpose. Yeah, I think so, too. <laughs> uh, like, Sachs, you son of a bitch! <laughs> a mysterious new Marvel character comes to the attention of the world, one who has the power to calculate the outcome of future events with a high degree of accuracy. This predictive power divides the Marvel heroes on how to best capitalize on this aggregated information with Captain Marvel leading the charge to profile future crimes, just like Tom Cruise and attacks before they occur. Uh, you know, like minority report. Yeah. 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 Tom Cruise, the weird girl screaming in the water. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Iron Man adopts the position that the punishment cannot come before the crime. Matt. Uh, do we really want to go back to the old heroes fighting heroes thing that ran through Marvel's books for so long? Did we ever really get out of it? Is my question. Yeah. Remember we <laughs> talked about how, um, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like we sort of left the deep water and went into waist high water. Yeah. And then fighting. they went, and, yeah, right. After, um, after siege and they went, we talked about this last week, actually yeah. after siege and they went through the heroic age or whatever, and everyone was reunited and the, the heroes were no longer against the law. And then, like, a year or two later, they're, like, fighting again. Why? Yeah. So B.M. Bendis, the writer of the event, said, quote, People's personal accountability is the theme of this one, from the way cops are acting on camera to the way people talk about each other online. Like the original Civil War, the sequel will have an inciting incident prophesized by the future foretelling new character committed by an unnamed hero who will ultimately die. So in case you really wanted to be surprised by that going in, <laughs> who is it? Let's call a shot. Who dies? Uh, Knowing nothing. Let's call a shot. Um, I don't know. They talked about who this character would be. And it's not going to be Iron Man. Of, no, there was a lot of debate in, uh, in the article that they talked about how there was a lot of debate in the room about who the character should be that, kind of spurs that's on i think it's that they're gonna get uh, killed by another hero well of course and they talked about it, like maybe spider-man's the one that that this happens to accidentally or what? the one that causes it what? and like by the end of the day like dan slot had convinced them it's like nope 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 <laughs> don't do that yeah, okay <laughs> so i honestly don't know i mean it really it could be anyway anybody because when they said Yep, Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers is like right on board with thought crime, like investigating thought crimes, right. basically. And Iron Man is the one that says, no, we can't do it. My immediate reaction was bullshit because Iron Man is the one that said, give up all your civil liberties and sign up with the government. Yeah, but those are just civil liberties, you know? It's like it's like when the devil comes to get your soul. I mean, are you using it? I mean, uh, <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Dan Buckley, the publisher, said, quote, and he came right out and said, the death is the marketing hook. That's the thing that's really compelling is whether or not there's a story afterwards that's going to connect with readers and sustain it. So they're going to kill somebody big. We know that. 
you can't because you can't just come out and be like, oh, Clor killed Giant Man or Goliath or whoever the hell it was, and everybody goes, was Goliath still around? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like so they're gonna kill somebody big. I don't know, man. I'm with you in the sense that like I'm tired of the heroes fighting and stuff like that. But if it's a good enough story, and I trust Bendis and stuff like this, and if he can come up with a good enough hook where it makes sense to do it and to not do it. I will say that Bendis's Civil War stuff that he wrote in New Avengers was the best stuff that happened in that storyline. Could be a good time. I mean, I just as long as we don't spend another two years fighting each other. Right. And, you know. I I don't know. I think it's kind of cool that they invited this writer to see how they do these big planning sessions. Right. But why would they put out there in the world like six or eight months before the event? This is what's going to happen. Marvel's been sowing seeds like that for a while. They know what they're doing. They're teasing us. Ah. Here we are talking about it in front of the internet, God, and everybody. (laughs) We'll see. That is the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories and everything you think we missed, hit us up on the big news section of the THN forums. We're having our own little debate of thought crimes. And let me tell you, Joe Patrick seems like a nice guy, but you crawl inside that dome of his, it gets ugly fast. It's a dark place. Speaking of dark places, every week, Joe Patrick posts the question of the week on the THN forums. Joe Patrick! What are we asking the nerds this week? Hey, okay. This week's question came from Lord Stephen Fino, the THN master of coin. Love that guy. From this point forth, it's a quote. So I was talking about spy comics after seeing Spectre, the latest James Bond movie. I believe it's Spectre. Spectre. (laughs) And when I was talking about Zero, the Ailish Cot comic, I said the phrase, well... Zero was a fantastic book before everything turned into mushrooms. I disagree. I thought it just got better. (laughs) Before being met with blank stares. So the question is this. What is the most ridiculous explanation of a comic book plot that you've had to give to somebody that doesn't read comics? Oh, man. (laughs) I love this. (laughs) It's like all those times where I had to turn to Casey and be like, Okay, do you really want to know? (laughs) And she could see her just close her eyes and go, no, forget it. Nope. (laughs) You have until 5 p.m. Central Standard Time this coming Friday, January the 22nd. I'm talking to you, Danny, to get us your answer. You can call us and leave a message with your answer using Skype. Our Skype handle is two-headed nerd, all one word. Nobody ever uses it. Or at the much more popular Ziggurat Hotline, 402-819-4894. You can leave us a message there. If you're feeling funky, you can send us an MP3 to TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com. But you got to keep it under two minutes or I will cut you off. Actually, it's not me. Our Alec Baldwin AI will cut you off. Don't pass the buck. If you need more time than that. You programmed him. Write it down, suckers. Go to the THN web forums and write as much as you want. And then you can tune in next Thursday to hear... You and your fellow listeners on the THN Answer of the Week podcast. It's review time in the Ziggurat where we read and discuss two of this week's comics using our buy it, skim it, and leave it rating scale. See how I did that? That was good. I forgot to read part of the sentence and I recovered. That was good. Matt, you're a mean old bastard of a man, but tell me you're not punishing some poor comic for how you were raised. Mm, I can't help it. What did you review this week? 
I read and reviewed Spirit Leaves, number one, from Chapter House, the good people that brought you Captain Canuck and the Pitiful Human Lizard. Written and drawn by Rossi Gifford. This was 32 pages for $3.99. This is the first I've heard of Rossi Gifford, but when the solicitation for a book comes with praise from the likes of Ramon K. Perez and Dave Gibbons, I knew I had to pick this one up. Spirit Leaves follows Freya, a young albino deer girl who has left her tribe to track a demon that has left the forest in a state of unbalance. Along the way, she meets a wolf boy named Skull who is on the same mission, and the two team up on their quest. The story is simple enough, but Gifford's art is the real star here. There's an animated feel to his pages, but literally no panels to speak of. The art comes off as a surreal piece of tattoo flash almost at times, with characters, places, and even ideas swirling around the pages. At times, it can be a little hard to follow, and I admit there was some interesting word bubble placement that made the narrative a little strange, but the strength of the art is what really leveled me here. I hate that we're doing an audio podcast and I can't show you <laughs> because there's really no way to describe how this guy is drawing. It is breathtaking, especially with how simple the cover looked. The cover was this very basic white cover with Freya, the deer girl, and a wolf in the background. And when you open the book, you are instantly plunged into this deep, beautiful fantasy world that is no doubt inspired by stories like Princess Mononoke and classics like The Last Unicorn. This was unlike anything I have seen in comics recently, and I loved it. While the narrative was a little strange and dreamy, the story was simple enough to follow and just absolutely beautiful. I am giving this a gigantic buy it. What do you think, mean old Joe Patrick? Wow. Um, <laughs> all right, so I didn't like it. Joe Patrick hates fantasy, except for when he loves fantasy. I didn't like it, and that's not why. You can tell that Gifford has a lot of potential, because the panels are very, very detailed. Yeah, incredible. But I thought that they were, in a lot of cases, really poorly composed. Like, following the flow of the story was very difficult for me. Yeah. Like, very difficult. There's nothing traditional about this. But see, you say things like that, which make it sound like it was on purpose, and I don't think it's on purpose. I, I don't know. I see. Okay, I admit... Why would you make your comic harder to read? I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, I guess. That's n making your comic difficult to read is not like a tactic to, that you use to make it seem better. I agree. I just wonder if he was going for something different. The way the, the action flow, there were no panel borders. Right. Which is cool. And I did think that was cool. But following the art as uh, it transitioned from scene to scene was uh, very difficult. Yeah. Uh, the word bubbles were often placed in very strange places that kind of messed up the flow of the reading. I don't know. And, and then there were even, even when I was following the flow of what was going on in the panels, I didn't understand what was actually happening in some of the panels. Like there's a scene where Freya confronts Skull and in the script, you find out that he's saving her from a trap that he set that he set up. Mm hmm. But in the actual artwork, it's nearly impossible to figure out what the hell is happening. Yeah, and it seems like that scene happens very quickly. And I took it from the point of view that this is coming from Freya's point of view because we hadn't met Skull yet. So then, she also wasn't aware of what was happening. And then on that same page or the page previous where she first sees him. Right. There's a bird like doing a backflip or something. <laughs> and then all of a sudden there he is. I'm like, was he the bird? <laughs> 
Is he turning from the bird into the wolf boy? You didn't eat enough mushrooms before you read this. Which, That's by the problem. way, he just looks like a dude with um, Michael Jackson thriller makeup wearing a tracksuit. Well, he's got a little wolf nose and teeth. He was I don't, cute. I don't want to be too down on it <laughs> okay. because it obviously put a lot of work into it. Yeah. And I get it. I was going to be a little harsher and give it a, a leave it, but I'm going to give it a skim it on the strength of the effort because I know that it was, a, it had to have been a labor of love. Oh yeah. And I know that Rossi Gifford had to work so hard to get this book put out, but I found it almost impenetrable. You're such a mean bastard. Yeah, I'm sorry. Jesus. Joe Patrick, now that you're done beating up on sweet fairy tales, why don't you tell us? about your feelings of injection number six. Okay, I will. I picked injection number six from Image Comics, written by Warren Ellis, with art by Declan Shalvey and colors by Jordi Belair. It's only 24 pages, but it's also only $2.99. Yeah, still. Which is good. 24 pages, no ads. Yeah. Here's your solicit. In New York, Consulting detective Vivek Headland that is a name takes on a case that quickly invokes a murderous sandwich. Huh? <laughs> so we've reviewed injection a couple times on the show, and my main takeaway has always been that I think I like it, but I don't really get it. Uh, it took five issues to wrap my head around what Ellis was trying to do with the series, and not only what he was trying to do, but actually what it was about. Yeah. Because nothing that was on the page was as clear as the solicits make it out to be. This issue kicks off a new arc, and it couldn't be more simple. Instead of featuring the entire team of eccentric geniuses and a plot full of vague explanations and half-explained origins, this issue focuses on one member, Vivek Headland, who is a consulting detective very much in the Sherlock Holmes mold. And he's crushed by the boredom of his day-to-day existence. He's got the modernisms of the Cumberbatch Sherlock, but some of the trappings of the classic version, and also a dash of the shadow uh, in the form of a staff of assistants made up of vanquished enemies whose lives he's saved. Here, a strange case he barely cares about leads Headland to a much more interesting and gruesome adventure, a murderous sandwich. The thing that dawned on me while reading this issue is that Headland shares a lot of traits with other characters that Ellis has written in the past. They're all so capable, but also very, very broken. In fact, I think that's the joy of Injection. It's a book where Ellis can gather an assortment of his favorite character archetypes and put them through the ringer in a way that he couldn't when he was writing, like, Moon Knight, for example. Sure. Other books that he's written, even other creator-owned books, have had a pretty set structure at their core, Gravel was a police procedural with magic. The Authority was a superhero book. Fell was a weird crime story. But Injection can be all of those things, or none of them. It's a sandbox that Ellis is running loose in, and that's a really appealing prospect to me. Declan Shalvey and Jordi Belair are a brilliant team, and their work really shines here. We've gushed about them so many times on the show that I feel like I don't really need to say too much about it. Except I will point out how well they're able to transition from mundane interiors to burning fields, to beautiful waterfalls, and every scene is breathtakingly gorgeous. There's even an ordinary architectural floor plan thrown in for good measure, and I still found something in that drawing that caught my eye and paid off a few pages later. So while it took me a bit to really wrap my head around injection, this issue made it clear that I am very interested in reading a book 
where these creative talents can let loose on any type of story they want. This issue is a great taste of what that book has to offer. You don't need to have read the first arc to appreciate it, but you will want to when you finished it. I'm giving Injection number six a huge buy it. I love Injection. I, I think it's a very interesting comic, but I honestly think this is a misstep in the sense where this probably should have been Injection number one. I think they would have hooked more readers if this was the first story we got hit with. Because while I'm reading it, Every month, because I love Warren Ellis. But it didn't do anything to set up the plot. I get that. But it did give me a character to cling to, an idea of what's going on. Where just like you said before, I read one through five. And still, if you had asked me, well, what's going on in that book? I would have to say, you know, I'm still waiting to find out. (laughs) And now it feels like they're telling us that story. So I don't know if it's a misstep or if it's Warren Ellis telling, doing what he does and turning the genre on its head and telling the story a different way. I love it. It's amazing. This is the first issue I feel like I really can grab onto and go, okay, I see where we're going here. (laughs) And I agree. You don't need to read what came before, but I think it might be interesting to go back and read what came before and, you know, catch, read this, read all six in Mm. sequence and go, oh, all right. I'm giving it a huge buy it too. I, and I like what you said about Ellis, like just smashing all of his ideas together. I went back and I looked at, um, some of the promo, the, the lead up interviews and stuff. Right. And the way they kind of sold the book was, was as an ongoing series of serialized graphic novels. Right. Which means the first arc sort of like global frequency, except that that was issue by issue. Right. This is arc by arc. Right. And they, so the second arc connect. will be totally, a totally different style of story. Yeah. This is a detective story, a weird crime story. No. And I, and I love it and I'm in, but, I mean, let's not kid ourselves. They sold it by saying, oh, Warren Ellis is going to write it? Sure. <laughs> but I, I think the same way that Ellis is, you know, messing around with everything that he loves, he's letting Bel Air and Shalvi do the same, where he said, look, come with me. We're going to draw all kinds of crazy shit. This is going to be fun as hell. Yeah. So, yeah, huge buy it from me, too. And that's a book that I want to read all the time. So that is a buy it and a skimming for Spirit Leaves number one and a double buy it for Injection number six. Now wander into the enchanted forest that is the internet and inject us with your opinions of these comics over at the THN forums. Gross. Yeah, inject us. Joey, I'm telling you, I got him this time. The Kree have tells just like any other asshole at a poker table. Yeah, well, you're not playing poker at a riverboat casino, buddy. We're guests in the Jack of Hearts' Space Casino because you won free tickets to see Rick Jones and the Teen Brigade's farewell tour. And now you're about to lose the last of our donated, let me repeat that, donated money on some alien version of Slapjack. Oh, I'm going to double it. I'm telling you, I have got... Ha-ha! Winner, winner, chameleon chicken dinner! <laughs> what do you mean that's not the flagark? All right. Okay. Obviously, this is a this is a misunderstanding. Joey, we gotta get out of here. Uh, yeah. Here comes that chameleon pit boss that thinks you just made a racist joke, along with a bad bet. Okay, folks, we gotta scoot and quick, but uh, feel free to run along with us. I'm just heading over to the space ATM for some more space bucks or whatever you guys call them. While we review ten more of this week's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed. 
Deluge, number one, from Comics Experience. <laughs> it sounds so weird. This is one of the first books from Comics Experience. You may remember us talking about them last week. And they're starting off with a bang. This was a pretty compelling cop story set during Hurricane Katrina, written by J.D. Olivia and drawn by Richard Clark. And there are a couple of different threads here that are both interesting, and it'll be cool to see how they end up connecting. I thought that Clark's art was very decent. There were some inconsistent moments, almost like he switched inking styles mid-story. But I still enjoyed this book, and I think these guys are off to a great start. Deluge number one, get to buy it. Nice job, gentlemen. I, Mage, number zero from Action Lab. Action Lab is putting out some of the best young adult comics on the stands, and I, Mage, looks to be another great addition. This is the story of Kai, a teen from an advanced utopian society, think Star Trek, who, along with his family, takes part in a mission to study a primitive world of magic. The thing is, just like matter and antimatter, magic and science don't get along. They literally, like, explode when they meet. <laughs> think Star Trek meets the Dark Crystal with a great story by Gary Turner and detailed cartoonish art by the team of Carlos Gomez and Teodoro Gonzalez. He sounds like he's very sexy. I Mage number zero was a fun raid with a great concept. I'm giving it a buy it. Hey. Secret Wars number nine. It finally happened. And it answered all our questions yeah. from Marvel. It, I mean, kind of. Kind of answered all our questions. The biggest Marvel event of last year finally wraps up about as neatly as you could hope for. Jonathan Hickman and Asad Ribic deliver a satisfying climax and a moving finale that opens up a lot of neat opportunities for the future. Not everything is explained in detail, so I guess that's up for the individual books to reveal over time. While the delays were super annoying, I have to admit that this has been my favorite Marvel event in years. Secret Wars number nine. Buy it. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers number zero from Boom. That is not how the song goes. I know. <laughs> morphin, 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 Morphin time. <laughs> I think that's Thundercats you're doing. <laughs> Last year, Boom announced a deal with Saban to bring the Power Rangers to comics, and they seem to have done it with a bang. DC Batrider Kyle Higgins, Midnighter and Virgil writer Steve Orlando, and the only woman to ever write a Transformers comic, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm guessing this is a safe bet. Margrid Scott gives us a 90s nostalgic romp that was even fun for old jerks like me that never really paid attention to the Power Rangers. There were three different fun stories, each with great art, and honestly, I was too old to care about the Power Rangers, but this was really well done. Props to Boom for treating a beloved Japanese show ripped off by America with the respect it deserves and an A-list creative team. I'm giving Mighty Morphin Power Rangers a buy it. Hey, Saban brought this to America. They knew what they were doing. Oh, they knew America exactly didn't rip off nothing. They're like, wait a minute. These white kids aren't going to watch a bunch of Asians running around. <laughs> we got to make them the multicultural squad. Yeah. <laughs> Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Number one from Marvel. Mark Guggenheim. German Peralta. German. I don't know. German. <laughs> I hope his name is Germain and that's a misspelling. <laughs> it's not. It's, it's G-E-R-M-A-N, but there's like an accent over the A. Okay. And colorist Rochelle Rosenberg relaunched the TV-inspired S.H.I.E.L.D. book with more overt branding, and it's pretty good. It seems less gimmicky than the last volume, which relied on team-ups with marquee characters to propel the stories. Fitz seems so out of character here that I think he's under mind control, but otherwise, it's a pretty decent read, and I don't think you need to be a fan of the show to appreciate it. Great art by Peralta and Rosenberg, too. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. gets a buy it. Green Lantern Corps, Edge of Oblivion, number one from D.C., 
After disappointing sales of Green Lantern Corps The Lost Army, DC bizarrely decides to finish the story that GL fans obviously don't care about with a six-issue miniseries by the new creative team of writer Tom Taylor and cyberfrog artist Ethan Van Skyver. While I didn't care about Cullen Bunn's Lost Army storyline, Tom Taylor does a solid job here, and I didn't realize how much I missed Van Skyver's Green Lantern work. Even though he draws Salak and Kilowog like they're completely made out of testicles. I have to admit, seeing Badig, the space squirrel, cuss out Guy Gardner, and Mogo, the living planet in action, made my reading finger tingle a little bit. I'm giving Green Lantern Corps, Edge of Oblivion, number one, a strong skimmit. Not because the creative team's fault. I just don't really care about this story. When also it picks up from a previous volume that right. if you didn't read it, then... I did, and it was meh. And I'm hoping that DC has a sense to give Tom Taylor a shot at writing a GL Core Monthly that people actually care about. Skin it. Surviving Megalopolopolis, number one from Dark Horse. We reviewed the Leaving Megalopolis graphic novel by Gail Simone and Jim Califiori a while back, and I remember that we really liked it. We did. This series checks in with some of the survivors who have to go back into the city for someone they left behind. This was a pretty decent read, but I had a hard time reconnecting to the storyline which means that this is absolutely not new reader friendly. Like, I read the graphic novel, and I read this and went, man, I'm having a tough time remembering any of these people. Oh, yeah? I'll keep reading for a while, but I have to give Surviving Megalopolis a skim it for now. Gutter Magic, number one from IDW. On last week's show, Joey and I discussed the Comics Experience course that's helping expose new talent on Comixology. This title is the one exception that gets a print release, and writer Rich Duick and artist Brett Barkley tell the story of Cinder Barnes, a street punk. <laughs> Cinder. Well, you know, a street punk trying to lie and cheat and steal his way in the high society of magic controlled by the upper crust New York City wizards that have reigned since they helped win World War II. It's a pretty cool premise. Very well written. The art was good. I can see a lot of talent in this guy, but it almost felt a little over-inked to me. Regardless, I'm giving Gutter Magic a buy it. Too much ink. You heard it here first. The Adventures of Luna the Vampire, number one from IDW. Luna is a vampire, obviously, that lives in space and gets in wacky situations. Buy it. Sounds like (laughs) it might be kind of fun, right? I'm telling you what, I hated this comic. Really? Hated it. When I finished the book, I immediately texted Aaron Myers to work through my feelings about it because I knew he at least looked at it. Okay. He asked me, how would you explain why this sucks, but Teen Dog is awesome? And that's a great question. Yeah. And I figured it out. Both books have pretty absurd, surreal moments played for comedy. But when it happens in Teen Dog, at least I understand. Like, I... The literal, I understand the actual events that are occurring. Sure, or the lesson we're supposed to learn, or whatever. He makes a speech about friendship, and then he ollies over a slice of pizza on his skateboard. (laughs) I get it. (laughs) Here, when Luna gets angry, she starts eating her friend, who has, for some reason, shoved her cell phone into her butt crack. (laughs) That's not funny. That's idiotic. No, it's not. It's not funny. It's stupid. And though it is well done, I find creator Yasmin Sheik's art style very unappealing. It's just not for me. There's an audience out there for this book somewhere. It ain't me. I'm giving Luna the Vampire a leave it. Wow. Sorry. Okay. 
Red Sonja, Volume 3, Number 1 from Dynamite. I have now reviewed the first issue of every Red Sonja comic to hit the stands in the last five years. And I'm here to tell you, this is the best one yet. Marguerite Bennett writes the story of Red Sonja being offered the throne of Hyrcania. I'm not really sure. Hyrcania. <laughs> in the wake of the king dying, but declining to find herself bored out of her gourd in what seems to be a utopian society under the new king. But of course, no utopia is what it seems. Bennett and artist Aneki? Anik? I'm going to say Anik. They kick ass here on a Red Sonja comic book that I plan on reading on a monthly basis. This was great and how Red Sonja should be handled. She's strong, she's sexy, and she's very human. I'm giving this a huge buy it. Hey, all right. Your ludicrous speed round and woo, 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 woo is the onomatopoeia of the week and the sound of the alarm that goes off when a giant mutated bull attacks whatever city the mighty Morphin Power Rangers live in yeah. as seen in MMPR number zero. <laughs> Where do they live? I don't know. Are they just kind of all over or is it just like any town, America? <laughs> any town, any town, USA. Three amazingly talented dead celebrities gone in three weeks due to quote unquote cancer. Yeah, right. I'm pretty sure it was cancer, dude. <laughs> First, Lemmy, then Bowie, and now Alan Rickman. All British, mind you. It's quite the conspiracy you're working on. Matt and I know what's going on here, and we are entering the THN Sanctum Sanctorum on a mission to end this culling of our most <laughs> talented celebrities now. Are you, are you sure about this, buddy? Silence! <laughs> I call upon you now, great dark one of his Accept this blood sacrifice of Kid Rock and the one they call Uncle Cracker, so that no more truly talented celebrities may die this year. Drink of their blood! Jesus, dude! And while you're at it, maybe give us a peek at next week's comics. Man, I'm gonna burn these corpses in the dumpster out back. Why don't you tell the listeners about your must-read pick for next week? Holy shit. My pick for next week is Silver Surfer, number one from Marvel, written by Dan Slott with art by Mike Alred, 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit, Fantastic Planet, which was actually like a weird old French cartoon movie starring naked people with the voices of Teller from Penn and Teller. It was weird. The surfer has taken Dawn Greenwood to the end of the universe, and now he's going to show her the most fantastic planet of them all, Earth. It's your home world like you've never seen it before with monsters, magic, dot, 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 a secret that will change everything. The perfect jumping on point for the book everyone's talking about. I can't say this enough. Slot and Alred's Silver Surfer is the antithesis of any Silver Surfer comic I've ever read, and it's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. This is a Silver Surfer book for people that think they hate the Silver Surfer. Joe, what are you excited for next week? Next week, I am excited for Amazing Forest number one from IDW. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Joe, you didn't read the creator's names, you might be saying. I'll get to that. Okay. Here's your solicit. Tales for the bold. Ideas for the strange. Wicked concepts that stir the minds of those with darkness in their hearts. A modern anthology that lends itself to a time when stories were short and ugly. Written by Ulysses Farinas and Eric Freitas. I love both those guys. Each comic is drawn by a different, amazingly talented artist. 
each lending their unique talents to bring horrible happiness to the reader's skulls. This sounds great. Yeah. I haven't even like, there's nothing, there's no plot. There's nothing. This sounds awesome. <laughs> I've been following the uh, Ulysses Freenas on Facebook and seeing the, him like getting ready for this book. I am stoked. Cool. The THN trade of the week goes to book of death. The trade paperback from Valiant written by Robert Venditti with art by Robert Gill and Doug Braithwaite. There's actually a bunch of other people that worked on it too. Fourteen ninety nine. I have no idea how many pages it is because Joe Patrick didn't tell me. It didn't say. Really? Yeah. In the in the on time and it didn't say how many huh. pages. Here's your solicit. The Valiant Heroes. Infinite pages. Exo Manowar, Bloodshot, and Ninjak. The Harbinger, Renegades, Unity. This is how they lived. This is how they died. Now we know. The book of the Geomancer has recorded it all, but only a young girl, Dash, the last in the line of enigmatic mystics who protect the earth known as Geomancers, Dash, has seen this future come to pass. Comma. This is such... I don't know if you're supposed to (laughs) pronounce that stuff. It's such weird uh, punctuation. From the coming cataclysm to the dawn of the 41st century, alone with her sworn protector, the Eternal Warrior... A soldier battleforged across 5,000 years of combat. The duo must defy their allies to stop the Dark Age that now threatens to eclipse our world. Together, they are the number one target of every hero and villain on Earth. Either the Eternal Warrior hands her over, or they take him down. But can even he single-handedly protect one child when the entire Valiant Universe wages war against him? This collects Book of Death, number one through four, this got my best event last year. Yeah, it did. In the Golden Beppos. It was awesome. It is actually a very good introduction to the Valiant Universe if you're not reading it, because these stories take place in the far future and you get an idea of who the characters are, how badass they are, and then you can go back and read whatever you want about them. And it's going to make you interested in all of them. It was awesome. Well, Matt, turns out murdering these two isn't going to cure cancer. But it's a big step forward. Is it? Really? <laughs> we got to clean this up, dude. Does anyone know they're here? I mean, yeah, they both suck, but Kid Rack is still kind of famous, right? Beeps, don't lick that up. Relax, Matt. <laughs> we did this for the greater good. If only we could have saved Grizzly Adams. Oh, that was that was tough. While we mob up the Sanctum Sanctorum and burn these bodies, why don't you head over to the THN forums and tell us what you're excited to read next week. Once a month, we check in with the Orca up in the frozen wastes of Maine to get some financial comic advice. He's kind of a creepy old codger, but the guy knows what he's talking about. So bust out your back issues, nerds, and get ready to take the money and run. Okay, so it's the new year. Nerds are ready to spend again. Many have made the silly resolution to quote-unquote work on their collections. Like it's a responsibility or or they're building their portfolios. Even better, maybe they've decided to only buy good stuff instead of paying $5 for this week's Web Warriors, the latest X-Men book. Only buying good stuff sounds to me like overpaying for collectible books that have a perceived value by really just 32 pages of entertainment printed on the paper that Marvel or DC can buy wholesale. You know why old comic books all have yellow paper? It's because even then, these companies wanted to make a buck. And who can blame them? It's a business, and only collectors forget that. Comics are meant to be temporary. We only perceive their value. 
So let's get all the blood out of this stone while we still can. Before the clock strikes midnight and our money train turns into a pumpkin. Take the sucker's willingness to spend again. Combine it with a resolution to fill their long boxes. Then add the one-two punch of Star Wars and Deadpool. And we have the perfect storm to turn our back issues into cash. Let's get to work. Batman number 635. The Jason Todd Red Hood Key Issue. Key issue is a term suckers use to convince themselves that it's worth the money. This Jason Todd resurgence, complete bull****. This thing can net you between $75 and $135. Now if I had a $50 bill, and I said I'd put it in your wallet, if I could have that comic of yours, you'd take it, right? Visualize that. Picture me and my loose fit and tidy whiteies with the suspenders I usually wear to keep them in place and my hunter orange cap, waving a nice crispy 50 bucks in your face. And all I want in return is a comic you've got stashed away that you probably ain't seen in three or more years. Take the money and run. Star Wars, well, you're a little late if you ain't sold your Star Wars stuff, but maybe it's still worth something. Here's the deal, the old Marvel stuff was pure A bunny is a character? I wish I had the drugs those guys were on when I came up with that one. Number one is going for between $250 and $400 slab. Raw, it's an easy $75 to $150 depending on condition. Number 107, the last issue in the series, is strong too. $50 for Raw VF Plus. $42 is the first appearance of Boba Fett. He was cool and all, but spoiler alert, he f***ing died 30 years ago in episode 6. We didn't notice because we all too busy hoping that Jabba put his tail in Leia's tail before she got rescued. Take the money and run. The city's a sucker. The city's a sucker, my city's a creep. Win with the granddaddy of them all, Deadpool. If you don't sell every Deadpool-related book you own between now and February 12th, I can't feel bad for you. I want to see this movie, but let's face it, the jokes are all going to be repeats of what we see in the Red Band trailer. It could be good, but only on a very superficial level. Right now, Hype City. Here are some recent Deadpool comic sales. New Mutants, 98. CGC, 9.8. Consistently sells for $800. One sold for a grand. Three copies of New Mutants, number 98, raw. Sold as a lot for $1,500. This is real money, folks. Deadpool number one from 1997 in VF condition. This is one with Joe Kelly. Sold for $75. What if Deadpool or Venom possessed Deadpool? Who came up with that happy horse Sold for $190 raw. Deadpool number one through 69. This is the original volume. $750. A lot of 12 copies of X-Force number two. Deadpool's second appearance, all in VF condition. 12 copies, 150 bucks. Those were dollar bin fodder not too long ago. Deadpool number 65, for some reason, just a random issue. Sold for 42 bucks. Cable number three, another dollar book. $12 sales, just because it's the first appearance of Weasel. The list goes on and on. 
Nearly anything from that first volume is getting $20 to $40 per book, no matter the issue. And all this will stop by the end of February. Oh, wait, it'll be yesterday's news. Take the money and run. Next month, I'll be back to discuss what I think the trend will be once the suckers are through with the movie angle. Once we finally get that R-rated superhero movie we've all been pining for, where will the fools focus their speculation? And how can we take their money and run? Kiss, kiss, nerds. Break it, break it down like this. And that is it for the Joe Sounds Like sh- episode oh. of THN. If you dig podcasts that force sick people to work and drink alcohol, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and we're on Overcast, too. I don't even know how that happened, but there we are. What even is it? It's a new uh, podcast aggregator. Okay. And while you're there, leave us your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, your hearts, because it helps us connect with other lonely potential listeners just like you. You were all alone, and then you found us, and now you have friends. Like a light in the darkness. Do you want other people to do that, too? Yeah. Hey, thank you to our latest donor, Carl Camarillo Brillo Smith. I love his beautiful face. He's been here for like five years. He just wanted to make sure that we were going to last before he donated. I appreciate that. <laughs> if you want to help support THN, you can do so by clicking our PayPal button at twoeditnerd.com. To become a sustaining member, it's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation Monthly box, and as little as a dollar a month really does help. If you're interested in sponsoring THN, hit us up with an email with the subject line sponsorship. If you want to yell at us personally, you can head over to twoeditnerd.com. There you're going to find links to all of our contact info. We're all over the place. We're on Periscope right now. We're on Twitter. We're on YouTube. We're on Facebook. We put the outtake of the week on Tumblr. It's always hilarious. You can find our Skype number, but more importantly, you can find the Ziggurat Hotline. It's how you get to play with us on this show. It is 402-819-4894. There you go. You did it. If you dig the music you hear on the show, you can subscribe to our soundtrack playlist on Spotify by searching for Matt Bomb's Spotify profile. Before we go, you can also search Two-Headed Nerd and you'll find Two-Headed Nerd playlist. Huh? Hey, hey. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to all of the faithful listeners out there that have supported us over the years and made us the millionaires we are today. At the time of this recording, we recorded and released the first episode of THN five goddamn years ago this weekend. Yep. And we wouldn't have made it this far without all of you. Word to you nerds, especially young Keith Binder, who covered Joe's shift at Legend so we could record in the shop on that sunny Saturday afternoon. We only recorded there like three times where we decided this sucks and we can't do it. No, we were there for way longer. We were there for way longer than that. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or there's no way your retailer is going to let you sit and record in his place. This is the Two-Headed Nerd. Signing off. I am not the only dust my mother raised. I am not the only dust my